What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight analysis into all the subjects you talk about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me as always is our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. As ever, we start with news, we give you news. The window is 13 days old, and already the wheels of movement are turning. Duncan, you brought us exclusive information last week on Bruno Fernandes of Sporting Lisbon and his move to Manchester United, and I believe you're able to update us on that particular transfer now. Yes, we told you in the last podcast that Sporting were expecting an offer from Manchester United for their um, star midfielder, guy who scored the most goals uh, from midfield of any player in in European football last season and and a player that they tried to sell last summer. Um, That offer came on Friday. Uh, The president of Sporting, Federico Verandas, and the sports director, Hugo Viana, flew to London to meet Ed Woodward and Matt Judge in Manchester United's London offices. Um, the meeting was also attended by uh, an agent representing and brokering the deal, Jesse Footy. Um, significant progress was made in that meeting. Basically, there is an agreement over valuation. Um, Sporting want a deal that they can present to their supporters as being the second biggest in Portuguese league history. They're aiming for a figure of around 75 million euros. Um, Manchester United don't want to pay that in full in cash. And therefore, there's been discussion about including some players in the deal with um, uh, various names mentioned. Um, Manchester United proposed the uh, their Portuguese goalkeeper, who's currently on loan at Hearts, João Pereira, but I'm told Sporting weren't keen on that idea. Um, there was also a proposal that Angel Gomez be included in the deal. Um, we told you in the podcast a few months ago that Manchester United have severe problems with Gomez and that they he is out of contract at the end of the season. They want to retain him. They have made a, a substantial contract offer to him, but he is um, seeking extremely high wages and uh, has refused to accept a deal with United to this stage. Um, therefore, it might be pragmatic for United to uh, allow him to go to sporting um, rather than run the risk of, of uh, not managing to, to tie him down in the summer. I think that one is still possible, but I think also the player is reluctant. Uh, as we said in the podcast at the time, Gomez's father has very high expectations of what his son can achieve on the market, and it, it might be difficult to achieve that money, similar to the, the sort of sums that Brahim Diaz got for moving to Madrid. Uh, from Manchester City last January from a club like Sporting. The other player is Marcus Rojo. And this this one's interesting in that Rojo joined uh, Manchester United from Sporting several years ago. Um, He is uh, well regarded by the club. Sporting would like to bring him there. But his salary at £8 million with that improved contract that Manchester United gave him is well beyond anything 
a uh, Portuguese club can pay a player. So for that to happen, you would think the deal would have to be subsidised in some way by Manchester United in terms of the, the player's salary. On top of that, Rojo has an offer from Turkey, um, which is interesting to him, which would be financially beneficial to him, um, and which would uh, involve a transfer fee coming into Manchester United. So uh, in a sense, they have the option of saying, well, we'll sell Rojo to Turkey and use that money and put it towards the Bruno Fernandes deal. Um, despite that, my information as of last night um, was that Sporting were still working to get Rojo involved, that um, Hugo Viana, the sports director, had called um, Rojo's agent to see if they could come to an agreement um, to bring him back to the club. And I think it's a... Uh, it's more of making a public statement that um, that they can, that even though they lose their best player, they bring an Argentina international who had a, a reasonable status while he was in Portugal uh, as part of the deal. Um, another complication <laughs> that's involved here is that ideally Sporting want to retain Bruno um, for uh, their next match, which is their big Lisbon derby against Benfica. Um, so they want to retain him and play him in that game before selling him. That's their their, their position as of uh, last night. Normally, when you're talking about a, a, a transfer of this magnitude, it'd be very unlikely for a, a club to allow a player to play a, particularly a, you know, a, a fraught, uh, aggressive game like a derby. Um, however... Uh, sporting are, are struggling the Portuguese league and again it, it's, this seems to be a PR exercise they don't want a big defeat against Benfica uh, therefore they'd like to, to field him in the match from Bruno's side the information I have is that a deal is in place with Manchester United so the financial terms are there also the briefings from Sporting are is that they expect this deal to go through and expect it to be concluded this week i.e all the terms fixed with Manchester United. Um, and uh, it, ideally, they retain Bruno for the, the Benfica game and then he moves after it. So, I mean, the direction of travel is clear here. Manchester United, as we told you in the last podcast, have, put, have set money, substantial sums aside for a midfielder in this window. Uh, Bruno Fernandes is a player they've looked at for a long time. Despite all the stories in the summer, they never actually made a bid for the player, but they did. They were in... in in communication with Sporting and communication with his representatives saying, uh, please don't go anywhere else. Don't accept an offer from another club without giving us the, the chance to match it. Um, and uh, no offer was accepted eventually, despite Tottenham making several bids. So United can do this if they want to. They're very close to the numbers uh, Sporting want. They're kind of fiddling around in the margins to get uh, the, 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 the details through. Bruno wants to come there. And as it stands, I'm not hearing of any other club who are making uh, an offer that would prevent United from taking the player. What I do know is that United have been warned that this is their opportunity to take him. They've been warned that there are other big clubs interested in Fernandes for the summer. Um, Real Madrid had a long, hard look at taking him last summer and because they couldn't move their own midfielders out, didn't do that. There's interest from Atletico Madrid. Uh, there may be other clubs potentially, and uh, and they've asked questions about Bruno. So 
that United are being, are being pressured here to say, you, you have your opportunity, Sporting will do the deal, the player will come, don't wait in this one. Uh, make it happen in this window and you get a player who has a, a very impressive scoring record uh, for Portugal in the Portuguese league and a, a record of making assists. And actually, I think he's a player who would quite fit into the way Solskjaer is playing at the moment and that we know that they struggle to um, break down teams who, who don't allow their quick forwards to counter-attack against them. They struggle against low blocks. And, and what Fernandes is very good at is scoring goals from distance, scoring goals from various positions in midfield. He, he's, a, he's a player who take, likes to take lots of shots, um, but has an ability to, to break games with those shots. So you can see him being a good fit to some of the problems Manchester United need to solve at present. As you said, Duncan, it would be highly unusual if um, Manchester United haven't agreed to deal with both the player and Sporting Lisbon that he take part in that game uh, against Benfica on Friday night. And indeed, of course, Manchester United have quite a big derby themselves on Sunday um, to play against a certain team called Liverpool. Uh, so I suspect uh, they might, even if um, it's unlikely he'd be ready to play because he hadn't trained with his new team, it's enough, but I suspect they'd like to have him available just in case. Now, I am reminded of a, a, the situation a few years ago, Duncan, which uh, it came up over the weekend because of the uh, West Ham-Sheffield United game when, of course, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano arrived in London, were told they were going to United, thought they were going to Manchester United and end up at West Ham United. Um, we now have Bruno Fernandes and Jetson Fernandes both coming to England. And uh, wouldn't it be funny if Jetson ended up at Manchester United and Bruno ended up at Tottenham because someone mixed the names up just like they did with Javier Mascherano? Carlos Tevez. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly the two clubs would be very surprised, that's for sure. So from one Manchester United midfielder incoming to one Manchester midfielder who perhaps uh, looks to be on his way out, and that, of course, is Jesse Lingard, a player who missed the weekend's match because of illness, we're told. But as we know, he um, has been underperforming for more than a year now with regards to assists and goals. Uh, living, uh, I think, to a certain extent off of reasonable form for the England national team. Uh, he recently changed uh, agents to the um, one and only Mr. Mino Rayo, the man who likes his slice, as we like to say on the podcast. Uh, my information is that uh, Mino has made uh, no bones nor indeed wasted any time in marketing his new client. And indeed, both AC Milan, Internazionale, Roma and Napoli have been contacted to be made aware of his availability. Now, this, I'm told, is for a move in the summer rather than for one now, although um, it's not without the realms of possibility that if Manchester United receive a, a, a good uh, and acceptable offer for Lingard, he may well be seen as surplus to requirements, said given his poor form and indeed the fact that he has chosen rather provocatively to employ an agent who at this moment in time is persona non grata, at Old Trafford, given the dealings over Paul Pogba in the last seven months. Uh, for you, Duncan, is Italy the, the right place for Lingard? It seems to be a bit of a haven for former Manchester United players at the moment to go and resurrect their careers. I think there's a good player in Jesse Lingard. I think he's he has been overrated and um, overpushed, as you see with all pretty much all young English players and particularly English players who uh, are uh, employed by the most prominent clubs. 
but he he has pace he knows how to finish goals he has the ability to find himself in good places in the box he's he's a man who could fit into the right tactical system um and it does look like he needs a change of environment uh, we do see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, reprimanding him for his, his social media behaviour and, and, and for the, the way he's handled himself um, so externally to football. So perhaps it, it's the case that he needs to get out of England and, uh, and play in a different league and, and work under, or under different coaches. Um, what you know is that now he has... You know, Raiola, the pizza man, as his uh, as his agent, he's going to have some good opportunities presented to him. Um, he will be on the promise of a significant pay rise, and um, Raiola obviously has uh, a lot of contacts in Italy. Is able to work that market. Is uh, is has a history of moving players into that market. So uh, I, I would say it is a strong possibility that, that Lingard might end up there and we've just been talking about Bruno Fernandes Fernandes is a player who can operate in that number 10 role that Lingard has been used in uh, by Solskjaer this season it's sort of been the preferred option at number 10 for a good chunk of the season a good chunk of his time as Manchester United manager so you're, um, the replacement is on his way and uh, in, in some senses he, he Lingard might be seeing the writing on the wall and uh, and and using uh, Raiola's influence to get him on the front foot in terms of uh, finding an out rather than having to wait for Bruno to come in, take his place in his team, um, be a reserve for uh, the rest of the season and, and be something of a forgotten man when he's trying to get that move in the summer. Interesting, Duncan, we still regard Lingard as someone who is a young player, but in fact he turned 27 last month. Uh, this is a time in his career, especially for an attacking midfielder, where it's generally considered that you are in the prime and therefore, uh, let's say with a minimum four-year contract that takes you to 31 uh, or just outside of that, then this is a time to basically earn the contract which makes you financially secure for the rest of your life. Lingard will be looking for that contract and obviously Raiola is a man to bring him the kind of financial security which he's already done for people like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and of course Paul Pogba who is younger than him. But a big blow for the lad as well this weekend, Duncan, I'm not sure you know, but his own personalised aftershave called J-Lings has been slashed uh, from £45 to £15 a bottle. So he's obviously not earning as much from that anymore and he probably doesn't even smell as good as he used to. How many bottles did you buy, Ian? I'd like to keep that as a, a secret because I'm going to give them out as presents over the course of the year, so I don't want my family to be upset when they hear. <laughs> there's, look, there's obviously another factor here with Raiola, um, who, uh, as you say, Pogba's representative and Pogba close friend of Lingard, so I think you can see where that that um, contact and, and deal has been done. Um, it's that Italy... Uh, is currently one of the cheapest places to move a footballer in terms of taxes. So uh, Lingard will be able, as a foreigner, to move to Serie A if he so chooses to and be put on the reduced tax rate, which has allowed uh, individuals like Cristiano Ronaldo and Aaron Ramsey uh, to move there and uh, and have higher net salaries 
than they would, would have been able to achieve elsewhere. So I think that that will also be factored in to the thinking here. And you know, you can see um, clubs like Internazionale using that to their advantage at present in the, their attempts um, to secure a lot of players from the Premier League. Um, Christian Eriksen, we're just about to, to talk about, but you've got um, Antonio Conte at present pushing Inter to try and get Ashley Young, who seems wants to go to um, Inter as soon as possible and has rejected the offer of a new contract at Manchester United. Nemanja Matic, um, Inter have been trying to sign him since the summer. They've had at least two offers rejected by Manchester United for him, one in the summer, one in this window. Um, Olivier Giroud, Conte wants as a backup striker, um, also looking to, to try and get Arturo Vidal um, as an alternative to Matic. Um, so they're, they're using that tax law to bring in foreign players to round out Antonio Conte's squad. And, and what Antonio Conte is doing at Inter is very interesting because he's got the team in a position where they have the chance to win Serie A. They drop points at the weekend, but they're still within two points of Juventus. He's saying to the club, I won the, the league in my first season at Juventus. I won my, the league in my first season at Chelsea. I can win the league in my first season here for you. I can end that long run of Juventus success, which is why you brought me here. My first 11 is good, but I don't have backups. If you want to win the title, I need the squad rounded out. And uh, I need, it, it's an, really an unprecedented number of players and, and number of experienced players that he's trying to bring simultaneously to the club. And I'm told putting a huge amount of pressure on Inter internally to get these deals done in this window and saying to them, look, this is the title. Give me the resources now. We can win the title now, and we can we can start this this new reign and and um, uh, end Juventus domination and and go for the Champions League, which as we've told you in the podcast for a long time is Antonio Conte's ultimate ambition is to win the Champions League as a coach to prove himself by winning the Champions League as one of the top top coaches in world football. Well, that was a segue as smooth and accurate as a Kevin De Bruyne across there. Duncan, thank you for setting that up for the tap-in because we moved now on to Inter Milan's interest in Tottenham midfielder Christian Eriksen. Well, we spoke last week in the podcast, of course. Uh, we told you that Inter were ready to make an offer to a player who, of course, is able to sign for a club outside of England on a pre-contract basis uh, this month or indeed any time uh, up until his contract expires on June the 30th this summer. Um, that contract offer has now been made to Ericsson's representatives. Uh, we understand that it's a 4.5-year deal. Uh, that's, of course, if he signs now in this window. Uh, he will receive around €7.5 million Euros net in salary. That's basic. Uh, you'll have bonuses on top of that, taking up to around €9 million. Euros. Again, this represents more than twice his current salary at Tottenham with, as Duncan just mentioned, substantial tax benefits as well. Interestingly, with uh, the imminent arrival of Jetson Fernandez, or indeed Bruno, depending on if they get mixed up, uh, Tottenham are saying that they would be prepared to sell the player in this window for around €25 million. Euros. Um, Inter, while not having ruled that out, uh, and of course, as Duncan has just explained, Antonio Conte putting huge pressure on his employers to um, augment the squad in order to make this push for uh, the Scudetto uh, in this calendar year. 
to beat Juventus to the title, then um, they may well yet try and negotiate a deal which sees the Dan Danish international leave White Hart Lane, or sorry, naming rights lane, I should say, to uh, leave for um, Northern Italy uh, before the end of this window. Um, now, it seems to me, um, Duncan, this isn't quite a like-for-like -like swap with Jetson Fernandez, uh, if indeed that's what um, Tottenham's thinking is, because obviously Jetson Fernandez is used to playing more as a, a six or an eight, uh, whereas Ericsson is more of a 10 or indeed wide as well. But clearly, um, it would make business sense for Tottenham to try and get some money back for him uh, rather than lose him for free. How would Mourinho respond to this, given that you know he's not exactly overly blessed, it seems, uh, with such talent that Ericsson possesses? And even though his playing time has been reduced in the last three months or so, his stats are still very good. Well, you say not a light-for-light -light change, but remember at the weekend, Tottenham started against the Premier League champions-elect with Christian Eriksen as a, as a holding midfielder. Um, and that's, I think, it's more a symbol of where Tottenham are in terms of uh, resources on the field at present um, with individuals like Sissoko injured um, and out for uh, a good chunk of the, the season. But Mourinho has been using him there. He's certainly not... Jedson Fernandes is certainly not a like-for-like placement in terms of um, established quality. What Tottenham are getting there is a 21-year-old. Um, we told you in the last podcast that, uh, that Tottenham were in the market for a midfielder on loan with an option to buy. They've managed to secure Jedson, who's due in London today to take his medical on exactly those terms. So Levy is not committed here to buying a player. Um, who Benfica value highly. Um, I'm told that the option to buy, which is an 18 months time, it's an 18 months loan with an option to buy at the end of it, is for around 50 million euros, which is a substantial sum for a player who has had one full season in the Benfica side. And then, as we explained in the podcast, had been left out for tactical reasons because um, uh, Benfica's coach, Bruno Laghi, changed the shape of the team. Um, this season and uh, and Jetson has been a bench player for them. Benfica wanted to shift the player out in this window. Um, as we told you, West Ham United had a go at trying to sign him and uh, uh, a delegation was sent over to Lisbon to, to try and convince Jetson to take up their offer and uh, was left standing outside his house for four hours, I'm told, as he refused even to speak to them. And uh, also understand that uh, David Sullivan's son, Jack, has been playing a part in that attempt to sign Jetson, which uh, appears now to have come to nothing. Um, Mourinho would also like to add a experienced holding midfielder in this window. Um, the Tottenham have been asking around to see if they can find a proper short-term fix. So we're looking at a player who's ready to go right in the team and um, be on loan for a half season, potentially with an option to buy, but probably with no real intention uh, to do so. So it, it's to get bodies and reliable bodies into that midfield. In an ideal world, Mourinho would not want to lose Ericsson. You can see that he would like to have him in, in his team. He's still an important part of those lineups. He's still uh, an important creative player for him. But we're talking about Tottenham. We're talking about Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy does not like to allow players to leave for nothing. There's money on the table for Ericsson. I'm told the offer from Inter for him is 10 million euros. 
which of course is unacceptable to Levy. And as you say, he's pushing for 25. Um, but the, the guidance I have is if he gets uh, the correct financial offer for a transfer in this window, he will take it. I think what's interesting here is, as, as you explained in the last podcast, Ericsson not only has meetings lined up with Inter, um, which has resulted in this offer, he has a meeting lined up with Real Madrid. And uh, as you've said all along, the information we have is that Ericsson's preference would be to move to Real Madrid. So I think Inter are going to have to wait and Tottenham are going to have to wait here to see what the outcome of that meeting is. And if Madrid, as is tend has been their tendency, decide to wait uh, and make Ericsson an offer to only come in the summer as a free agent, uh, both Inter and Tottenham may be stuck with a problem here and that Tottenham won't be able to take any money. Ericsson um, could take up that offer to go to Madrid uh, and Inter will have to look elsewhere for the reinforcement to, to try and win the Serie A title. I think that is the interesting um, part of the dynamic, uh, Duncan, when a player goes into the final six months of his contract. Uh, he does literally hold all the cards. So even if uh, Spurs and Daniel Levy were desperate to sell him to Inter because Inter were offering the money now, he can quite frankly say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to sign a pre-contract with Real Madrid. I will join them on July 1st um, and I'll happily you know, play or sit out or whatever you want me to do my final few months at Tottenham Hotspur, um, which of course will not necessarily suit Spurs financially. But as I mentioned before, I'm sure Jose Mourinho is someone who would be quite happy to have Ericsson at his disposal for the remainder of the season in order to finish as strong as they possibly can. Um, you mentioned Jesse Fernandes due in London today, Duncan, given the, um, let's just say, less than straightforward nature of this particular move with the player being hawked around almost uh, half the Premier League clubs uh, and indeed a green deal, a deal with West Ham before this uh, deal with Tottenham um, looking like it's going to go through. Do we expect him to come into the team straight away? Is he? Is he? Is he? Because obviously he's only played very few minutes since the beginning of November. Or is this someone that Spurs fans will have to wait a little bit to uh, get into gear before they're going to see him play for the first team? I haven't asked about that. Um, I know that uh, people that Mourinho trusts rate Jetson highly. Um, you know, basically think he has everything for the English game apart from a question mark over his, his level of his aggression and um, physicality in the game. So I think that that would suggest that there'll be an adaptation period required, but there, there are a lack of bodies there, so he might get game time quickly. Um, it should be emphasised that not only is this a, a kind of cheaper solution because Levy's been able to get his player on loan with an option to buy. It's also cheaper in terms of wages. So Bruno Fernandes at uh, Sporting at the moment is on 2 million net. Um, the expectation is that that will go up to about 5 million net at Manchester United. Don't have confirmation on the wages yet, but that's that, those are the numbers that are being suggested by his agent. Um, and Jedson, uh, as a 21-year-old, who there was interest in last season, he got an upgrade in his contract then with Benfica increasing his release clause. He's only on one million net at Benfica. So a uh, far cheaper deal to do. That, the negotiation on, on Jedson with Tottenham, I'm told, was completed 
on Friday. So that so everything seems to be in place between the clubs. Uh, it's just a question of the medical to to complete that today. Well, a club that have been um, banned from doing any transfers in the last window um, due to. Um, transgressing FIFA rules on the recruitment of players under the age of 18 is Chelsea. Uh, they had that ban overturned. It was originally two two windows. It's now uh, been reduced to one. They have been con- linked with many, many players, Duncan, in this January window. So far, Frank Lampard, who, of course, is operating in his very first window as Chelsea manager, um, and certainly his experience at Derby County was going to be a lot different in terms of finances available and quality of players that he'd be looking at has resisted the opportunity to dive in uh, to uh, the market and just basically sign the first player who comes up. We know and we've said on the podcast before that the first priority is a striker who can back up Tammy Abraham. That's a position, as I said, they've yet to fill. Indeed, it looks like Olivier Giroud uh, will go to Internazionale, leaving only Michi Batshuayi as the recognised senior backup to Abraham. Interest in Batshuayi as well. Second priority is a centre-half. Uh, he wants someone who can command uh, a defence which has looked um, inconsistent, I think, at best, with regards to the concession of goals, especially from set pieces. Uh, he had a resounding result against Burnley at Stamford Bridge, but that was their only second win at home in five matches in the Premier League. Duncan, you wrote a piece in the Sunday Times regarding an interest in one of um, an English centre-back who certainly uh, has uh, all the credentials, I think, that Lampard would require to fit in at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, you're you're talking about Frank Lampard wanting a more physical defender who can lead his defence. And essentially what they've done here is to go to one of the players who very much fits that category, who has a, a track record in the Premier League, and that's Lewis Dunk at Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, you can see why Lampard would be interested in him. Uh, he has one cap for England. There's a lot of people who suggest that he deserves to have played, been called up more often and played more often for England. Um, I think you you know him as a player better than me. You spend more time watching Brighton. You know more about his character, but it doesn't come as a surprise to me that, that um, Chelsea have made an inquiry to Brighton as to what his price would be. My information is that Brighton would allow him to leave for around £50 million um, and have a an agreement, a, a sort of verbal informal agreement with Dunk that uh, with a club of Chelsea stature to come in and meet their financial terms. They won't stand in the way. Um, you, you told us some time ago in the podcast that uh, Chelsea have an option to buy back Nathan Aki. Um, so that's an alternative at centre back, but um, which would be cheaper because um, it's uh, an option which includes bonuses that goes up to about forty million pounds in total if those those bonuses are achieved. But a very different kind of defender, a very different kind of footballer. Aki is a, also a solid Premier League centre back, but he's a lot smaller than Dunk. He's a lot less physical. He's more of a technical ball playing uh, centre back. In fact, he's. I think many people would argue he's probably might be better suited as a defensive midfielder or a fullback, given his his physical attributes, and doesn't seem the ideal fit defence that lacks um, that leadership and uh, and lacks that physicality at times. 
But um, what, what's your your feeling on Dunk? Does he deserve um, to to move up to a club of of the stature of Chelsea? Well, I agree with you, Duncan, on the the England uh, factor in terms of I, th- I think he's been very unlucky um, at a time when England have been forced to rotate centre backs because of injury or loss of form or indeed lack of game time. That Dunk uh, has received only that one cap against the United States of America in a friendly. Um, I always look at if you've got a, a player who's played at the highest level, which of course Lampard has, his um, vision of how to build his own team as a coach will be based very much on the way that he experienced his own playing days. And of course, you had John Terry. Um, for whatever his you know faults on or off the field, he was one of the greatest centre-backs in the Premier League era. And his qualities were... Uh, aggression, physicality, uh, a winning mentality and an attitude of never give up. No situation is irredeemable. Now, and, uh, and also a very good technical footballer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. With John Terry, he's a very good pass through the ball. And, yes, um, with both feet as well, which people never give him credit for. Um, now, in Lewis Dunk, I think you have someone who uh, actually sees Terry as um, a mentor or as an idol um, in his formative uh, playing days in an academy at uh, Brighton Hove Albion. Uh, he looked up to Terry as his ideal centre-back. Um, I think you can see in the way he plays, uh, he leads by example. Um, he puts his body on the line constantly. Um, and, you know, he's even been, you know, sort of... Uh, had Mick taken out of him for the fact that he'll barely flop into a block, uh, the way that John Terry often did as well. Um, but also, he's a natural leader of men on the field. Um, he's someone who does, he's, he's no nonsense. Uh, he will uh, happily uh, instruct his teammates where they should be, what they should be doing at any given time, how to be set up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that's something Chelsea lack right now. I think Anthony Rudiger and Kurt Zuma are, uh, are good centre-backs and they have some of those attributes but not all and they are not quite um, as accomplished or rounded as John Terry was even at their age because John, remember, made his Chelsea debut very young, in fact became Chelsea captain at the age of 22 if my memory serves me correctly. Um, So Dunk would be very much in the image of Terry, Uh, Aki is not. Um, So if, if indeed Lampard was looking for a dominant, aggressive centre-half to lead his defence, which currently looks, as I said, um, a little bereft of leadership, especially when they set up for set plays. They always look fragile, um, and they've lost goals at set plays this season very softly. Um, Then Dunk would certainly fit that particular uh, type. So it wouldn't surprise me if it were the case that uh, Chelsea had an interest Dunk is currently the captain at Brighton Hove Albion, so it would be a big loss for them. Although, uh, if you look at the fact that they've recruited very well um, last summer in Adam Webster and uh, Dan Byrne, who've uh, both featured in almost every game until Dan Byrne fractured his collarbone recently, but he's due to be back uh, in the middle of next month. He's been playing at left-back because there's a surplus of centre-backs right now at at Brighton with uh, Duncan Duffy being the two um, most regular performers. But Webster has actually ousted both uh, in different games, uh, although mainly, of course, Duncan would have been through suspension 
and Duffy through small injuries. But Webster's been the uh, the consistent uh, selection for Graham Potter. So I guess uh, Brighton have got a, you know have got to ask themselves a question: Do they cash in? Uh, don't they? Uh, he is the club captain. He's born and bred, uh, one of their own, as they like to sing from the stands at the Amex. So it'd be a big decision for for the, the club and Dunk himself. But um, I think, as you rightly say, when a team like Chelsea comes calling, it's, it's a hard one to um, resist, both because um, it's uh, a Champions League club, but also uh, I think it is true that your England chances will be um, certainly enhanced playing at a club like Chelsea just because of who they are. Um, rather than a club like Brighton Hove Albion. So that's one which we will be watching out for and, of course, we'll keep you up to date with. Duncan, we had an interesting discussion over Wolverhampton Wanderers, a club who are not uh, in any way shy about getting into the transfer market uh, when they need something or indeed to sell for uh, good money as well. Um, your information is that Nuno Espirito Santo is worried about his lack of numbers right now with regards to fit and available players, especially his striking options. Yeah, they've, they've just let Catroni um, go back to Italy on a, a, a loan deal with an option to buy to Fiorentina. Um, obviously, a transfer that didn't work for them in the summer. Nuno gave him a fair amount of playing time earlier in the season and then decided that he didn't fit the system. Um Wolves have been on a good run. They started well in the Europa League and then had a, a period in which they struggled early in the season. Um, and again, that was the, the feeling from Nuno was it was the demands that they'd had to go through in playing twice a week um, and playing also in, in what was the pre-season for other clubs' competitive games that had, uh, had made it difficult for him in the Premier League. And, and I'm told he has a feeling that he basically only has 13 14 players in his squad that he can rely on that he thinks are um, top performers for the first team and he wants that broadened out um, and obviously so far they, they've they've lost a someone who was supposed to be a first team player um, so they're they're looking to add a forward um, also I think looking to add um, in midfield um, and I think under a fair amount of pressure from their coach to to give him those resources to allow him to get make the best out of the season. We've seen Wolves being capable of uh, causing troubles to everyone in the Premier League again. Uh, and you kind of would like to see Nuno you know, given those extra resources to you know, given maybe a squad of eighteen. Um, players that he could absolutely trust on and, and see what he's able to achieve um, with with that um, size of squad, even playing Europa League football, because he has his, uh, his accomplishments since moving to England in terms of the way he got Wolves promoted, the type of football they played and and how they've performed in the Premier League have been very impressive in a, in a really understated, quiet way. Um, it's a tactically very astute coach um, who uh, I think can argue has done as well as, as pretty much all the coaches we've seen in the Premier League in the in in these last two years, with the you know the the possible exception of of Jurgen Klopp, who's putting up uh, incredible um, records of of uh, successive points and uh, and uh, an entire um, effectively an entire season uh, if you go from one date to another of unbeaten matches in the Premier League. 
lots of things happening around uh, transfers in the Premier League, indeed in Europe as well. Some interesting uh, other footnotes to we would like to bring you because, of course, we like to keep you up to date with what's happening, not just in the Premier League, but what's happening elsewhere, where it can be affected. And, of course, the merry-go-round um, uh, sort of catalyst that that has regarding movement. Bubakari Samari at Lille Duncan is a player we've talked about in some detail in the past in the podcast. Um, I think he's been scouted and indeed monitored by ooh, at five, six Premier League clubs uh, come to mind in the last six months. We know that Lille uh, are a selling club. They like to cash in on players when they're at their uh, highest value. Do you think there'll be movement on Samari this particular window? I think there is movement on Samari. Um, as you say, there's a lot of interest in Spain, um, Italy and England. Um, Manchester United are one of the clubs that have monitored Samari. Uh, Arsenal, another club. Wolverhampton Wanderers um, have a, a, a standing interest in the player. I think the important thing here is that Leo see this as a, as a window in which they probably need to cash in. He's There were reports that he was out of contract at the end of the season. That's not true. But the length of contract he has is such that Leo either need to tie him down to a new one or they need to sell now. And uh, I'm, I'm told he is a player that they're, they are willing to sell in this window. They, um, they have offers already but they're trying to um, get the best they can out of that market before making a, a final decision on him. So definitely a name to pay attention to in this window because you because unlike a lot of the top players at clubs um, who clubs don't want to sell and have to be forced into to moving in a January window, Lille have actually did, taken the decision that, that he is the one they're prepared to sell in this window and, uh, and are trying to basically just trying to get the most money they can for the player. And from France to Spain with a couple of updates as well. Um, before we go on to Barcelona, Duncan, hearing lots of noise around uh, Thomas Lamar and his disappointing start to his uh, career at Atletico Madrid with the possibility that Atletico would allow the player to go on loan to at least recover his form before deciding on whether or not they want to bring him back or indeed sell him. Have you heard anything with regards to Lamar? Because we obviously know that there was a massive interest from Arsenal before they signed um, uh, Nicola Pepe, also from Lille, of course, like Samari, as well as the fact that um, Liverpool, for a long time, were very interested in signing uh, the France international. Yeah, I think Lamar is someone who hasn't managed to fully establish himself in the Atletico team. It was an expensive signing. He's on a, on a substantial wage um, therefore again a, a player that Atletico who need to um, raise a bit of cash uh, would be prepared to let go if they get the right offer I think the difficulty there is they're going to have someone's going to have to present Lamar with the the kind of um, proposal that's attractive to him remember this is a player who rejected a move to Arsenal um, when he was at the, at the, the, the peak of his um, Monaco career and, and it was that was a deal that prevented Alexis Sanchez from moving to Manchester City. Um, Liverpool also had a, a go at trying to sign him at the time but uh, uh, weren't able to match the financial terms that Arsenal put on the table. So he, he's had very high-profile clubs coming in for him in the past. Paris Saint-Germain, another club who tried to target him. So... I, I think the difficulty with Lamar will be 
um, finding him a club where he feels happy moving on and, ta- and taking that January move and moving to another league um, and, uh, and taking a risk in his career as opposed to waiting a bit longer at Atletico for the, the summer window, exploring options more carefully, um, having the opportunity to move to a team with a full pre-season to prepare himself for that team because players are also conscious. We hear a lot about clubs being conscious that January is a bad time to make deals. Players are also conscious that moving in January is a, is a very difficult time because you, you have to fall on your feet. You have to go straight into a, new, a different training regime, a different environment, a different city, different coaches, different teammates, and you're expected to perform from day one. Um, and that, that's a lot harder to do than uh, coming in the summer where you have time to bed into to your new club and you play pre-season games. And you, you're not under the spotlight um, immediately and expected to deliver as soon as you, you make that transfer. With someone like Lamar, it's going to be a significant sum of money or at least a, a loan deal with an option to buy a very significant amount of money. Maybe out of his com- comfort zone, Lamar is just too shy to shy. Uh, one for our 1980s pot pickers there. Um, one for Kaiser Duck, that one. One for Kaiser Duck. You can Google Kajagugu people, you'll find out what I'm on about. Now, the curious case of Xavi, uh, his current club in uh, Qatar, and a link with Barcelona, Duncan. Um, we know, at least it's been intimated that Ernesto Valverde, despite being a joint top of La Liga with Real Madrid, is under pressure uh, for his job at Camp Nou. Um, of course, Barcelona visited um, Qatar in the last seven days to play in the newly revamped four-team Spanish Super Cup, uh, which Ian, they lost. Do you want to restart that? The 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 Super Cup. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Now to the curious uh, case of Xavi. Uh, his current club and a link with his former club Barcelona who um, they seem to be uh, slightly unsettled with regards to their current coach Ernesto Valverde despite the fact the club currently sit atop uh, La Liga on goal difference from Real Madrid of course they went to Saudi Arabia recently to play in the revamped Spanish Super Cup where they lost in the semi-final they've also just lost Luis Suarez to uh, knee surgery for the next four months which is a major blow for them and, of course, Xavi uh, was known to have met with um, the administrators and the directors, including chief executive of Barcelona, while they were in the Middle East. Duncan, is there any fire with the smoke or is this just smoke? Well, first of all, I think we've got to say La Liga is, is quite amusing at the moment because you have Real Madrid and Barcelona battling out for the title, as they usually do, and uh, both clubs... Um, thinking about changing their coaches and, and have, have been thinking about it th- since the summer. Um, so, you know, Zidane has won another uh, trophy, uh, continuing his remarkable record of, of winning finals as Real Madrid coach. Um, and uh, Valverde gets knocked out in the, the semi finals of that uh, sort of the contrived. Um, uh, Copa del Rey that they've moved to Saudi Arabia for financial reasons and the word is that, that Barcelona were made an offer to Xavi to take over as coach that they went, as you say, from Saudi Arabia to Qatar to meet their former player, one of their most storied players ever um, and offered him 
the opportunity to immediately take over from Valverde. Um, uh, and the story is that Xavi turned that down, um, saying that he had too much respect for his current club, Al Saad, um, who he has been coaching since uh, the start of this season in Qatar and, uh, and didn't want to take the job at present. Um, what I can tell you is that the reaction in Qatar to his refusal um, to, uh, to move to Barcelona kind of says something about how he has performed as a coach in his first major role. And I'm told that Al Saad fans have suggested that if he had respect for Al Saad, he would have left and taken the Barcelona job. And um, uh, some were even suggesting that Al Saad should pay him to leave. Now, why is that? Well, uh, 11 games or 12 games into the Qatar Stars League season, Al Saad are nine points behind the leaders, um, Duhail, um, and uh, have already lost four matches. Um, this, remember, is a team that, that Xavi inherited who were champions uh, of Qatar, uh, widely regarded as having the best squad there. Um, so there, it's not surprising that fans have been somewhat unimpressed by the decline in form since Xavi took over as coach. Um, and it does make it interesting that, that Barcelona have um, reportedly made this offer to Xavi to take over as coach. And you wonder whether they have paid attention to what he has actually done when given that very different job of being in charge of a, a football team for the first time, as opposed to um, thinking, well, he is a legend at Barcelona, he's a man who talks incredibly intelligently about football. He comes across as the next Pep Guardiola because of the way he speaks and thinks about the game. Uh, therefore, he would be a popular appointment. Um, let's let's get him into the club. Um, and I think there's, there's some feeling that maybe Barcelona were doing Xavi a favour uh, by allowing this news to come out and and also putting a bone out to the fans in the sense that um, a Xavi uh, appointment at Barcelona is something that fans of Barcelona would like to see in the future. Um, they regard him as a coach who can change things and get them back to playing uh, the way they did when he was in the team and when Pep Guardiola was coach. And, and therefore, it doesn't uh, look bad for Barcelona to, to be to be being seen to make those initial moves towards an appointment in the future. Well, the last time Barcelona made an appointment like this one, there was one Pep Guardiola, of course, who um, graduated out of La Masia uh, and then went on to become the most successful coach in their history. So I guess with Xavi, um, they see maybe the second uh, coming of one of their best players into the coach's office. But that, of course, Duncan, as you said, Things not going well from right now in Qatar, so perhaps that's not going to be as simple a transition as Barcelona might hope. This is Monday's Transfer Window podcast, which means it's time for us to do our heroes and villains of the last few days. Um, Duncan, I'm going to ask you to go first with your villain because it's uh, it's one our listeners will be very familiar with, and I think we all know why. Uh, the, the villain this week is um, one of the transfer windows favourite pundits, um, Tim Sherwood, who is uh, never short of an aggressive opinion when he appears on Premier League television and elsewhere. Uh, Premier League television had him on to uh, be one of the expert analysts um, of the on the Tottenham-Liverpool match 
at the weekend, which uh, I think it was, turned out to be quite an interesting game and uh, and far more balanced than um, than people were expecting, given uh, the resources Tottenham had going into the match, playing without their uh, best player and captain Harry Kane, without their World Cup winning goalkeeper Hugo Lloris, without Moussa Sissoko, without the record signing Tangi Endombele, without first choice left back, um, as we predicted on the podcast, um, Mourinho set up uh, with a low block, looking to um, pick Liverpool off on the counter and, uh, and ended up uh, with a team that had more shots at goal um, than Liverpool during the 90 minutes and were you know, a, a missed uh, open goal in the last 10 minutes away from what would probably have been a draw, although you can't discount Liverpool would have gone up the other end and scored if they'd done that so many times this season. And Liverpool getting their goal with um, the kind of controversy we've often seen in these big matches and that uh, what appeared to be a, a throw-in for Tottenham being given to Liverpool and then what appeared to be a handball by uh, Jordan Henderson, uh, albeit unintentional in the build-up to their goal, uh, being ignored by the referee and by VAR as we've seen those handball decisions go in their favour in matches against Manchester City and Wolves previously. But Tim Sherwood's uh, conclusion on this game was that because Tottenham um, had a lot of attacks at the end of the game that they should have gone on the front foot from the very start and that that was the best way to play Liverpool and he, his comment was Jose please trust these players they're better than what you are giving them credit for they're a group of international footballers who could go toe to toe with Liverpool and then when he was challenged by the presenter on the fact that Mourinho was playing with quite a uh, limited squad uh, for the, the reasons I've previously mentioned, he, he, he angrily um, replied, I don't think he's got limitations. Why has he got limitations? Yes, Harry Kane is out injured. If Harry Kane was playing there, he'd have played exactly the same way anyway. So um, no surprise to hear that from Sherwood. Um, and I, I think um, when you see... Uh, a former Premier League manager arguing that the best way to go against Liverpool, who remember have now taken 88 points from 90 of the last points available to them in the Premier League, is to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Uh, you understand why he's in a studio um, sounding off his opinions rather than on the touchline putting his opinions into practice anymore. Key phrase there, former Premier League manager, very former, very short career in the Premier League. However, Swindon Town, how did that go for you, Tim? Um, let's move on to the hero. And there can only be one hero, I think, Duncan, of this weekend because it's a player who has uh, broken yet more records, a player who uh, has been an outstanding, outstanding player um, in the Premier League for many years. And, of course, that's Sergio Aguero. Scored his 12th career hat-trick in England's top flight uh, in the 6-1 demolition of Aston Villa at the weekend. That put him ahead of Thierry Henry as the player, most overseas player with the most goals in the history of the Premier League. It put him uh, level on fourth uh, place with Frank Lampard in terms of 177 goals scored. And uh, also being his 12th hat-trick, he beat the, the England legend Alan Shearer, who scored 11 Premier League hat-tricks in his career as well. And after the game, when he was given his Man of the Match award, which of course seemed small beer compared to what he just achieved, his, uh, his only uh, main mantra was to praise his teammates in, with sheer humility and say, uh, well, Shearer's got 74 goals more than me before I can 
possibly beat him. Hey, but let's let's see. I'll try. Let's start next game. So we gotta love we love you, Sergio, for not just for your brilliance, but also for your humility in the face of such great achievements. You are the transfer with the podcast hero for this week. And Tim Sherwood, well, you know the, the uh, place where you have to go, uh, and it's a dark room when you're voted <laughs> to be the villain. Uh, this has been Monday's Transfer Window podcast. We hope you've enjoyed uh, all the news we've brought you. And of course, we will be updating you on that, not just on Wednesday's podcast, but also, of course, on our social media channels. You can get us in touch with us and we, of course, will report to you on uh, our at Transfer Podcast Twitter uh, account, also on Instagram, the same, and on Facebook, the same. Duncan is at Duncan.Castles on uh, Instagram. Uh, individually, we are at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm at Garbo SJ. Please, of course, if you want to join the debate, extend the debate, start a new debate. Just you use those channels and we will be there waiting to talk to you as always. Wednesday, of course, is your questions answered directly on the pod. So please start sending them in to us. We will tweet out uh, that invitation as well today. As I said, there's lots happening. We're 13 days in. There's still lots of time to go, lots of moves to be seen, lots of moves for us to report and bring you the news first. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. We will see you through the transfer window on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Hey.